As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Good morning, happy Friday morning. Welcome to the Daily Ding, the NBA morning show here on the Athletic Podcast Network. My name is Jared Weiss. I'm joined by the man with no mustache, Big Waz, Wazzy Lambria. What's good, man? I'm good. I'm chilling, man. You know, you should never trust a black man with no facial hair, except for Big Waz. That's it. I'm the only one that you can do that with. All right. I'm going to no comment on that one. We have Brian Smith (laughs) behind the boards over here. We got to start. With the last game of the evening, the Denver Nuggets, they beat the Clippers 101 to 94. The Clippers just kind of looked despondent besides Terrence Mann in this game. I guess we have to start with MPJ, just another kind of lethal game from him, just ruthlessly efficient. He looks good, right? Um, He's making every single shot. You can't leave him open. I like his aggressiveness. Just hunting his shot, right? Like feeling like he has a mismatch every single time. He touches the rock, but honestly, two things, even besides MPJ, because I think we know that this guy can fill it up when the time calls for it. Aaron Gordon, a team high. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Jokic was the team high. My bad. But Aaron Gordon was second on the team with a plus 12. And, you know, in the three games so far, he's just looked good. He's looked like he's belonged. The lineup just feels basically rounded out into form with him out there. That's a one. And two, the Nuggets guarded these guys tonight. And that, if you're a Clippers fan, you should be worried about. The theory of the Nuggets as a team, it's like, all right, this is a team that's going to be able to score on virtually anybody, but they're going to have trouble guarding certain matchups, right? It's like, you know, you think about a team like the Clippers with two huge wings like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they should have trouble matching up with them because their wings are pretty slight. And even if they, you know, have the height, they don't have sort of the heft to deal with guys that big and that strong. But look, man, they... they (laughs) They had no trouble guarding these guys tonight. Clearly, they don't fear these cats in any, you know, meaningful way because they whooped them in the playoffs last year. (laughs) Y'all better watch out for these nuggets, Jared. Let's just start with Aaron Gordon, who I didn't want to be too repetitive from the when I did his uh, debut earlier in the week. But Gordon is just he's everything that we thought he would be when he got a fresh start where 
He doesn't have to pound the air out of the ball anymore. He doesn't have to try to make flashy plays. He's getting almost all of his points just cutting off of Jokic passes. And Jokic is finding him so easily. And, he, you know, you could when you're watching Gordon throughout the game, he does look a little bit lost on where to go on offense. You know, he's trying to be a screener. He's trying to be a cutter. But the thing is, in that offense, as long as you just keep moving and keep trying to do that, you're going to get found three or four times a game. And he's just getting easy stuff every single time now. If he can actually shoot the three ball well, I mean, he'll be putting up 20 a night probably. Uh, And then I also thought he did a solid job on Kawhi. I mean, most of the buckets that Kawhi got over him were like pretty decently guarded, tough, contested isolation stuff that Kawhi usually gets over anybody. But then you know, Kawhi only shot 10 for 22 from the field, and he only got to the free throw line once. He only took two free throws in this game. I feel like they kind of marginalized Kawhi as well as he can. Yeah, and there were times sort of later in the second half of this game where Paul George was kind of killing them in the half-court offense. And again, people, I, I implore you to understand this. The Nuggets are supposed to be a team the Clippers can score on with regularity. If they're not doing that, and we know they don't have the personnel to just deal with Jokic and Murray, whoo, whoo, are the Nuggets the second or third best team? Are the Clippers the fourth now? I don't, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm very obsessed with how things are going to shake out with the Clippers, with the Nuggets, with the Lakers who are dealing with, you know, obviously catastrophic injury luck. And, of course, they're going to have their guys back by the playoffs, but who knows how healthy they'll be, who knows what seeding they'll get, who knows. Of course, the Jazz are rolling. And I don't want to discount the Suns, but I don't think they're part of the Big Four if we're being real out here. The Western Conference playoffs is going to be a slugfest, Jared. You know how the Nuggets are for real? Because we had at the end of the game – after Jamal Murray missed a ton of shots in the first half of the fourth quarter, he makes it rain in crunch time when they need him to. He's making the big rebounds. You know, you got to love it when the uh, Nuggets win a game and Jamal Murray is our leading rebounder. That's just so on brand for Jamal Murray. And then the the bucket that really got me excited was another Gordon and Jokic connection, but this time it was Gordon up in the high post throwing kind of a lob over the top to Jokic, and Jokic just kind of like volleyball set it with one right. hand up. He caught it with bat. one hand, okay. didn't even put his put it down, just laid it right in. It was classic <laughs> Jokic. Just like <laughs> Jokic sometimes looks like when you know your dad is playing against you when you're in like fourth grade, right? Like just holding the ball over your head, pump faking you, making you spin around, look silly. That's what it feels like Jokic is doing to grown-ass men out there at times. But, yeah, you know, and again, as you mentioned in the pre-show, I think the young boy Terrence Mann looked damn good tonight, right? Eight of ten from the field, made his only three. And, he, you know, he looked active and he looked unafraid to attack these guys, which, again, the Nuggets, when your center is Nikola Jokic, who basically is about as fleet-footed as, you know— <laughs> I was about to say something offensive, but I'm not. But, you know, you get the point. He's not very fleet-footed. And that's your back line of defense. Teams should feel comfortable attacking him. I feel like Terrence Mann was one of the only people getting in there, getting into the teeth of the defense and making things happen, which, you know, something that you should feel positive about as a Clipper fan. Although, again, not to be a Debbie Downer about the Clippers tonight, which I guess I am doing, his shot is unreliable. I don't know how... How much minutes he could get in a playoff setting against the very best teams when teams are just going to dare him to shoot, dare him to be the one that beats them. But again, you should be encouraged by what he did tonight. 
Hey, the pride of Lowell Mass t- bands my guy. Uh, I know I know a lot of his people, and uh, he, he's coming around. I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, to see him actually put it together and turn into a rotation player. And he's young, and he's obviously a kind of player they really need. Heading out to San Antonio, where the Hawks won in overtime, one thirty four to one twenty nine. We had, you know, a credit to our producer, Brian Smith. He mentioned this earlier before we were about to tape. Something that could be true. I don't even know how to really check it. But we had Clint Capella, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and Trey Young all had 28 points in this game. You got to wonder, is that the first time three guys have had exactly 28 points in this game? <laughs> There's just no way. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I should say this was a double overtime game. I misspoke before. We should put our crack stats and info stats staff um, at The Athletic on that. Get on that, stats crew. That's right. The stats crew that doesn't exist. Well, we got our people <laughs> at Sport Radar that, that do help us out, actually. Uh, but, you know, it's funny. When DeMar DeRozan had his, like, kind of classic layup that's a contested eight-footer at the end of overtime, I'm thinking, okay, San Antonio's going to win this one. But Trey just wouldn't let it happen. Bogdan wouldn't let it happen. Danilo Gallinari hit some clutch shots in this game. I mean, this was, like, kind of the ultimate Atlanta Hawks game where they don't get any stops, but that's fine because they shot 50 for 100 from the field. The Spurs shot 49 for 100. 110 from the field. I don't know if I've ever seen a team take 110 shots in a game before. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a two OT game in the whiplash era that we play. And I'm sure somebody's done it back in the 60s when Oscar Robertson was getting 20 rebounds a game. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, they were taking like 120 shots a game, and they were they were only making like 30 of them. <laughs> Don't disrespect the old heads, Jared. Don't hey, it's it's, the- it's factually accurate. They only shot like thirty eight percent from the field it's back then. That's disrespect. why they had so many rebounds. It's still disrespect. You don't get to call your girl or your mom fat, even when it's true. You feel me? You can't talk about <laughs> the old heads that way. But no, Jared. But really, man, what excited me about this game is is Bogdanovich. Honestly. He came back from injury, and he looked pretty bad. He looked sluggish. He looked tentative. He didn't look like the fearless sort of assassin that we came to know out in Sacramento. And within the past few weeks, he's looked more and more like himself. And, you know, when they signed him in the offseason, it was this idea, this vision of him being both on and off ball, and Trey wouldn't have to be so ball dominant every time he was in the game. He would have a release valve and somebody like Bogdanovich who could run offense for you know long periods of a time and very aggressively and effectively attack a closeout, right? And so he's looked so, so, so damn good. Four or five from three out here. A few of those were pull-up threes. I'm just really excited of the dimension that Bogey's going to add to this squad because it's something that they were so sorely missing, right? Like, Horder, in theory, does the same thing that Bogdanovich does, just way worse. Um, and so now that you have Bogey in that position, oh, man, I, I, this is one of my favorite league pass teams right now. It's funny because Herder did go over three. I mean, I think of Herder as more of the kind of traditional shooting guard while Bogey's more of an on-ball playmaker. But obviously, he can light it up. He went 12 for 17, and he really went 13 for 18 and hit the game winner at the buzzer at overtime, but he got it off just a little bit too late. After, you know, it's funny because Trey, I think Trey hit, what, eight shots in the overtimes or something like that? I mean, something insane. 
but he did kind of waste that last possession there, and that, that, that you know they probably could have gotten that look a little bit easier if they hadn't just kind of he hadn't pounded the uh, air out of the ball the entire time. But at least they had in the end for all the clutch shots in this game. Gallo having that corner three to ice it, which is just so big for this team because Gallo was just like such a problem in a, in a bad way. I know that's a good thing nowadays, but in a bad way at the beginning of the year, it really seems like he's come around and now kind of become a go-to guy for them to get a shot at the end of games. Hey, man, this guy has a lot of experience. He's played in a lot of big games. He's one of the best shooters that the league has ever seen, just by volume and by percentage. So it doesn't surprise me that he's out here, you know, splashing jumpers in the highest leverage moments of the game, man. And, you know, obviously he has his limitations on the defensive end. He's not quite as fleet of foot back when he was, you know, getting Italian people and Howard Beach and Bensonhurst excited in his New York days. But, you know, I'm I'm very, 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 very happy with how this Hawks team is shaping up during this stretch of the season. It sucks that my man Lloyd Pierce had to get the boot. You know, that, that hurts me still. But, you know, watching these young guys sort of coalesce around each other, you know, gel and become the unit that everybody envisioned them to be when they made all of these big moves in the offseason, it's cool to watch. Yeah, I mean, no offense to Lloyd Pierce, but uh, it's insane how much better this team is now without him. And the issues were well documented. Shout out to our reporter, Chris Kirshner, who uh, reported probably a thousand times all the problems that were going on there. But they look better. Quick shout out, of course, to uh, we have to give one to Derek White, who I think had his third 20 point game of the season. He played 44 minutes. He's been kind of in and out of the game, in and out of the uh, lineup throughout the year. He went seven for 13 from the field had you know had some big clutch plays there a really really great game for him looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So this was a shocker. The Magic beat the Pelicans 115-110, to 110, another overtime game. This is the Magic that's supposed to be tanking, I thought. I mean, they're starting in this game, James Ennis, Chumo Kiki, Kem Birch, Dwayne Bacon, and Chasson Randall. If you even know who three of those guys are, I think you deserve a prize for that one. Frankly, most of their good players are actually coming off the bench. But honestly, I mean, we'll get to them in a sec. But the story in this game was New Orleans, who was playing without Zion and without Brandon Ingram. I mean, this was a, this was a real G League special year. But Nikhil Alexander-Walker, that's right. So <laughs> they're missing basically their three best players. And Nikhil Alexander-Walker gets his big shot. This is a guy with a ton of talent who kind of faded into the background over the past year and a half with Josh Hart kind of being their main complimentary guard to all their big stars. But he had 31 points on 13 for 24 shooting with eight boards in this game, did have five turnovers, but he just went off 
both at the beginning of the game and in crunch time, hitting threes, attacking the rim. It's kind of a shock that they even lost this game considering how well he was playing. Yeah, and he's one of these guys, man. He's one of these guys with the tantalizing talent. This idea that like, if he could ever make a consistent three ball, all the stuff he's able to do attacking the rim and attacking off the bounce is going to make him a really, really, really interesting player. You know, of course, he, he put it together tonight. And, you know, some people will say, well, he got the opportunity and he deserves more. And he's a young he's a young guy. And, you know, because the Pelicans, for whatever reason, came into the season with some type of expectation from media members, not from this one. And so they've, they've done this veterans push. And so many of their young guys don't really just to get the, you know, unencumbered minutes, right, when it comes to a Jackson Hayes or even an Alexander Walker like you mentioned but tonight he got to spread his wings no pun intended and he killed it um so this is dope to see I hope I see him get more minutes down the stretch this is a rebuilding team no matter what they say that's why they had a bit of a you know a little mini fire sale but I want to see their young guys get in there and see what they got now as far as the magic are concerned you know what I think is interesting they're not buying out Otto Porter Jr. They didn't move Terrence Ross at the deadline, knowing damn well that this is a this is a teardown. This is basically a tank situation. But why I liked it, and you know we saw them be competitive. They not competitive. They beat the Clippers the the other night. They beat the the Pelicans tonight. I think there's something about having this level of competence on your team, even when you got a bunch of young guys that you want to see what they have and what they can offer in the future and give them a chance to show their stuff. It's important to have consummate pros like Terrence Ross and, and Otto Porter out there helping these guys and, and, you know, giving you a baseline of, you know, being able to contend on a night-to-night basis with the best teams in the NBA. Now, I'm not going to lie. I wish Terrence Ross would have got dealt at the deadline to an important playoff team because I think he's the type of guy, you put him around the right type of talent, it would just open so many things up for him rather than having to be even, like, mildly a focal point on a team like this but you know I think it's cool that the Magic did it like this and not how other teams do where they just put put together a G League you know Ignite team and expect you know people to care or want to watch it I mean the thing is this I mean this game was fun like it was a genuinely entertaining game to watch and a big part of that was just in crunch time we Ross went off completely he had the game winner at the buzzer at the end of fourth quarter go in and out I mean that that thing was halfway down before it popped back out and obviously we know that's not going to deter him because he comes back out there at overtime and just completely takes over overtime credit to, I think it was Dwayne Bacon that had a huge steal that was able to get them out in transition. I think Okiki threw it down and then Wendell Carter Jr. 21 points, 12 boards. He looks really good in this game, especially had a really nice pick and roll with the Ross in the fourth quarter. I mean, you could see that this team is building a nice rhythm. I guess the only problem is that there's only, let's see, Okiki, Bamba, Hampton, and Carter. There's only four guys in their rotation right now that are young players that they're actually building up towards while everybody else is a mid-career veteran. Right, but, you know, Anthony is hurt. Obviously, they're missing Jonathan Isaacs and Markel Fultz, so it's not like they don't have young guys in the cuff waiting to come in and figure some things out. But, yeah, you know, it's it's nice to see that they're still playing hard and not playing out the string where teams like... OKC um, are just blatantly tanking <laughs> by like letting some of their best players not even suit up anymore. But it's, what are you talking cool about? Moses see. Brown's playing every single night. Oh right, right. Uh huh. No, you're you're absolutely right. And uh, wear out thou Al Horford. 
That's a big question. But, you know, we'll see how they look next year with Jonathan Kaminga or Evan Mobley or Cade Cunningham if they're lucky. So uh, I I am excited for the future with Orlando, even if they uh, just traded away all their guys and didn't really get anything in return that you think will be amazing. Although we'll see Hampton and Carter could end up being pretty good. The last thing we have to talk about is forget about the Nets blowing out the Hornets. That didn't surprise us. The news was LaMarcus Aldridge starts and looks great. And it turns out the Nets got another really good player in the buyout market. Small market GMs around the league are currently smashing glasses as we speak. Your small market brethren, San Antonio Spurs, let them go. That is true. So they could save money. They got $7 million out of it. They could have not made $7 million, kept the player, played them no minutes and kept it pushing, but they let them go. A small market team did that. So shut the hell up. There always should have been reform to the buyout market. It shouldn't be as simple as it is. There should be some stronger, you know, give and take, basically, if you want to bring on a guy at the end of the year. But why are they pretending like it's a problem now all of a sudden? This is it's this it's the same this year as it's always been. The difference is it's just a bunch of washed up all stars who have been over the hill for a couple of years now. You know, when they say if somebody from a small market would come out and say, Look, you know, you see how JJ Reddick got the they got him for a second rounder and JJ Reddick like basically blew a gasket, the fact that he wasn't bought out and picked <laughs> his own destination. The small market teams can say, look, you know, a lot of times we used to be able to get second rounders for these guys, but since teams know they're gonna get bought out, they figure, why give up anything to bring them in? All right, whatever. Cool. That's that's great. But the bottom line is just shut up and stop crying. I hate small markets crying for no reason. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but back to LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah, yeah, okay. Look, I know everybody said he stunk it up for the Spurs and, he, and they were worse with him on the floor, et cetera, et cetera, and he just wasn't a good player. It's just like sometimes people got to re- realize that the context under which he's asked to be a quality player in the, on the Spurs is just not the same as what it's going to be on this team, right? Like, when you watch, say, you know, remember Ben McElmore had that stretch with Houston where he looked like a quality player, just making open shots and all of that stuff. Well, he's playing with James Harden, right? (laughs) Like, he's able to look like that type of player on the Rockets with James Harden under that specific context. If you throw him on the New York Knicks, guess what? Ben Malcolmore ain't that same type of player. And I think the same can be true about LaMarcus Aldridge. I think the context under which, whether it be the minutes amount, um, what type of shots he's going to be asked to take, like literally doing no shot creation whatsoever for this team, like literally just scoring in the most opportune moments on the floor in a given possession and not doing one-on-one, not posting up, literally just being a a sort of pick-and-pop threat or pick-and-roll threat where KD or Kyrie or James Harden is drawing like two or three defenders. Yeah, I think he could have helped his team do that. On the Spurs, they don't possess those type of dynamic threats. So what he's asked to do within that ecosystem, he's not equipped to do anymore. But in this one... Yeah, I think LaMarcus Aldridge can figure out how to be decent in this ecosystem. You know, and the funny thing is, so, I mean, he was so dominant. The Nets were so dominant. They were up by 30, like, halfway through the second quarter. It was insane. And what was so interesting was that they were mostly just posting him up on the block. 
he was getting single coverage on the block and Charlotte would kind of stunt down like they were going to double him. If Miles Bridges had him on the block, Cody Zeller would kind of soft double. And he was just effortlessly passing out of there, just kind of one hand whip passes the shooters on the perimeter, going to his, you know, over the shoulder turnaround jumper. He even had one where he started to uh, go middle and then uh, somebody, I think it was uh, Landry Shamit, just kind of cut baseline and he just dropped it off to him right under the hoop for a layup. I mean, it was like, LaMarcus looked like he had been running this offense the entire year. It was amazing that this was his debut, but it's also just like, you know, he's a player that's very easy to just space around him, make cuts, you know, he's going to be able to find you. But so it's great that they can have that as another offensive option. And let's be clear, Jared, when the critiques that people are making, they're talking about in the playoffs against the best teams in the entire league. Obviously, LaMarcus Aldridge is not going to look this good. But to reiterate, he's not going to be asked to look this good. He's going to be playing with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, guys. Like, it's going to be a lot different uh, ask than what was asked of him on the Spurs. I hate to sound redundant, but, like, you need to remember this when you hear people say this guy's not of any quality anymore. No, he's not of any quality when you ask him to take on a sizable role. On this team, he's just going to be a nothing burger ancillary part. Listen, as long as he doesn't get in the way of Nick Claxton becoming MVP, I'm fine with it. That's going to do it for today's show. My name is Jared Weiss. His name is Wazi Lambry. We have Brian Smith producing us. Don't forget about all the other great shows that we have on the Athletic Podcast Network. We have No Dunks. We have House of Strauss. We have The athletic nba show which has waz all over it so that's why you got to go listen Uh, of course we have all of our team specific shows from all around the entire nba we have uh, just great writing we have everything that you want over on the athletic so go to theathletic.com slash ding to sign up today waz let's get out of here ding-a-ling-a-ling school bell a ring knife and fork and fife a dumpling